Hello. I love you, won't you tell me your name? Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia. Today we are discussing Chapter 9 of The Magician's Nephew, titled The Founding of Narnia. My name is Kristen, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris. Hi. And uh, Usually I introduce myself. Okay. No, no, no. This is the banter that people will subscribe for. My name is Kristen, and this is my co-host. Chris. Hi. Hi, Chris. <laughs> and uh, so today we're going to be talking about Chapter 9, The Founding of Narnia. And this is the first official introduction of Narnia as the world we've assumed they've stumbled into. I was not aware this was where this series was going. I'm kind of thrown for a loop in this chapter. Oh, really? You didn't think that they were going to end up in Narnia at all? I was thinking Tatooine. Ah, yeah. Well, understandable. (laughs) Very understandable. So, this has been a fun chapter. Uh, Let's go ahead and do that thing that we start off every episode with, where we summarize the chapter with our own sentences. We go through and we pick out five... Uh, sentences from the chapter that we feel like tell the story in a very succinct, uh, short, usually way. And I guess we'll just start off with that. Should I, I go first? I like that we finally settled that it is actually it is just five, five sentences. Yeah. In, in episode three, we said five sentence summary, but then we went back to three to five, three to five. And then I picked six that one time and it really upset you. Yeah, well, you know what? <clears throat> So would you like me to read my sentences first? Uh, why not? Okay. So. The nuisance of it all, Polly thought afterwards, was that you weren't left in peace to watch it all. There was certainly plenty to watch and listen to. But what was America to this? But what the sound did to the two humans was nothing compared to what it was doing to the country. Narnia, 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 awake. All right. Well, we chose at least one sentence in common. Okay. All right. So here's um, here's mine. Suddenly, the witch stepped boldly out toward the lion. She raised her arm and flung the iron bar straight at its head. It sank into the ground, and now it's coming up as a young lamppost. And the humps moved and swelled till they burst, and the crumbled earth poured out of them, and from each hump there came out an animal. Narnia, 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 awake. So we both chose that last sentence, uh, which is the start of, uh, you know, Aslan's first dialogue in the entire book so far, Mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get into. But you don't like my sentences as a summary. Uh, and let me explain in myself before you start <laughs> judging me too harshly. Uh, my sentences came from a place of people's impressions of what was happening. Yes, which is, you know, um, it, it doesn't explain anything about what's happening, just people's impressions uh, of what's happening. Yeah. So and it does atmospherically build it, but you didn't... You also didn't touch on what I touched on, so I feel like I touched on the witch's response as well, which you kind of skipped over as well. Well, the witch I left out and the cabbie I left out, uh, but I had like an impression from Polly and an impression from Diggory and one from Uncle Andrew. And I mean, we'll talk about it in the chapter, but Aslan's kind of creating the entire thing, so I don't, I'm not sure he has an impression of it really, but something from his perspective at least. Uh, so I tried to get everybody's take on something that happened in the chapter. Okay. How about you? What do you what? Let's start. Where? where let's 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 get into it. I mean, this this chapter is very much um, the the birth of. I mean, like in the last chapter, we kind of had the birth of this world as just this dark place with water flowing and stars and the first sunrise. Mm-hmm. and this song that Aslan is weaving the country with. And then we have um, this song continuing to now bring forth trees and flowers and things. 
um, there's a sentence that says, um, Polly was finding the song more and more interesting because she thought she was beginning to see the connection between the music and the things that were happening. Uh-huh. And it describes how specific notes she kind of connected to certain trees and certain flowers yeah. um, springing forth. And so we have the trees and the flowers. And it's, I mean, once again, it's still directly mirroring the the seven-day creation story from Genesis and things like that where we have this starting with the stars and the sun, the dividing of the night and the day, and then we have the plants, and oh. then we have the animals. And um, Except Aslan does this all in like 20 minutes. Yes. Uh-huh. So then we have all of the animals burst forth from the earth, and then something that both of us completely skipped over in our summaries mm-hmm. is that Aslan selects specific animals. Yeah. He goes and chooses a couple from the different kinds of animals. He doesn't choose from all of them, just specific ones. Uh-huh. Draws them into a circle around him and breathes on them. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but that is very interesting, and that's definitely a point to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all that happens in this chapter, is that the trees are born, the earth is, or, I mean, the animals mm-hmm. are brought forth from the earth, mm-hmm. and we have um, a bunch of humans arguing about whether or not they're going to stay and watch. So let's talk about reactions here, because I feel like that's the uh, that's the meat of this chapter, is everybody's interpretation and reactions to what's happening so first i think we should uh i mean i want to say polly first but i think diggory uh, i really like his explanation his exclamation that just says trees trees <sighs> and, and he's, he's also the one who who is saying the line it sank into the ground and now there's uh, now it's coming um, up as a young lamppost <laughs> i love that just like a young lamppost and he says, and it's alive. I mean, it's lit. Degree just jumping into some real modern slang here for just a for a brief moment. <laughs> it is <laughs> lit. Yep, it's alive. Um, but we have Polly's impression, and Polly is the one that pieces this together that uh, the song is what is making all these things happen, which I, I've, you know, we understood very much in context from the last chapter, but I guess if you were there with no knowledge of these events from an outside perspective, that wouldn't necessarily be a a thing you'd instantly put together, maybe? I mean, they said it in the last chapter. Yeah. They, they, they had it already figured okay. out. It's just the way that Polly is reflecting on this specific tone change uh-huh. resulted in this reaction, not just that he is creating a song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have her impression, and also uh, where my first sentence came from is that she reflected later that the only problem with this is that there just wasn't time to take in all of it because there's so much other stuff going on right now. And a lot of that comes from Uncle Andrew, who is being an annoyance in this chapter, like possibly more so than any other one. Yeah. Um, I think that it's interesting... Because at the end of the last chapter, we had Diggory pull Polly away from the rest of the group and basically hold them, you know, hold the rest of the group hostage uh-huh. by, you know, declaring that this is, and um, this is what's going to be like, y- y'all are going to stay away from us. And then, you know, uh-huh. just kind of holding the power to leave yeah. in, in, as hostage. And um, the moment when uncle andrew starts trying to go towards the kids and that's what's that's what's creating this like non-peace that polly is like we can't just enjoy watching and observing because we're also still being chased down by uncle andrew who's trying to get at us and then the witch steps in and it's just like if any of you try to get any closer to the children i'm gonna brain you with this with this um, she, she really doesn't want to get stuck there. And and then at this and then uh, Aslan or the lion, but Aslan keep. You've got me saying his name as Aslan. <laughs> this is your fault. Aslan is coming closer to them, but completely ignores all of them. Yeah. The witch 
gets aggressive and throws the iron bar in her hand Hmm. and hits him right between the eyes and he just keeps on going creating as if nothing happened well i i I feel like this is an interesting point that that ace lane uh that uh that he uh (laughs) that he takes no notice of any of these people being here like he came in to this this world with a mission he's creating stuff he's singing a song and he like does not even glance over at these people that are very out of place in this world who are actively dodging trees Mm -hmm. growing yeah and literally the entire chapter he pays no mind to them whatsoever and i feel like that's that says something interesting and we should dive into that why do you think aslan ignores them I think, well, I mean, knowing that C.S. Lewis comes from a Christian uh, origin, I'm going to keep drawing parallels to Christianity in this uh, as far as the, the, the narrative structure of the creation. Um, but also, um, but also within Christianity, we have these figures of fallen angels and... Um, Lucifer as a fallen angel and I almost feel like Jadis throwing the iron bar is like the fall of Lucifer mm-hmm. and Aslan as God is just like I'm still creating and I'm still going to continue to build what I've been building. Yeah. I don't know. I mm-hmm. I might be taking that parallel too far, but I just yeah. I do feel like Knowing that C.S. Lewis is coming from a Christian background and he is clearly following the Christian creation narrative in even the structure and the order of what he's creating uh-huh. uh, on the like the in the world of Narnia from stars and light and all of that yeah to animal to plants and then animals. Yeah. We we kind of have this moment in the middle of creation in which some someone outright attacks Aslan and he just ignores that it ever happened. Mm-hmm. And I assume that something will come of that. Obviously, we had a lamppost grow uh-huh. out of nowhere. So there is an impact in Narnia that is going to become, you know, something that happens to stay there. Like, mm. that lamppost is what Lucy finds when she goes through the wardrobe. That is yeah. the lamppost. That's where the lamppost came from. Uh-huh. And so we have this lamppost there that is going to be the mark of where Lucy and the Pevensies get in and out of Narnia uh-huh. at the in the wood. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, let's let's stay in this moment for a little bit. Let's... You know, let's really explore this space. I, I think this whole scene is really interesting, not just the growing of the lamppost, but uh, of Jadis's whole reaction here, where she is afraid of the lion. Obviously, it's, uh, it's kind of clearly spelled out. And it keeps getting closer. And like we said, Aslan kind of ignores them the entire time. But every time he, he he's walking around in these big circles and every time he keeps coming closer and closer to them. Which, but then he walks right past them yeah. and right past them again. Yeah, and right past them. And Jadis is still freaking out and decides, hey, I'm going to scare this thing off. Which I feel like even in the moment for somebody that's demonstrated her kind of uh, intelligence and her situational awareness is a stupid thing of her to do because she comes into this place in the last chapter and she's immediately like i don't like it there's magic here that's stronger than my own and then we have this lion that comes out of nowhere that's singing the song of creation and is obviously the one that's wielding this incredibly powerful magic and her first reaction to getting scared is i'm gonna chuck an iron bar at it (laughs) yeah like this is this is a smart thing to do because obviously this is going to do something. <laughs> I I think I think it's as much a I don't know. I think that it's interesting that she doesn't even try magic. Yeah, I was going to say that too. That her response is solely a physical attack and with what she has in her hand. Uh-huh. And I don't know if that is because 
she knows that she can or can't use magic here because she doesn't seem to have tried to use magic here, but she's Uh aware of a magic there. Yeah. But, like, her first response when she came to Earth with someone that confronted her was Aunt Letty, Uh and she tried to destroy her Uh with her same word that she used to destroy the doors in Charn with the children, and... She just had no response. Like, Aunt Letty's like, she's drunk. Uh-huh. Um, and then she gets thrown across the room. So And then she picks, yeah, <laughs> she picks up Aunt Letty, and Jadis throws Aunt Letty across the room. Uh-huh. And that, I almost feel like Jadis, you know, we talked about Jadis having almost lost confidence in her magic for a moment, mm-hmm. but not letting it phase her, but also, like, she then does not resort to magic as a first response against the lion. Yeah. Maybe it's because she knows the lion has better, stronger magic than her. Uh-huh. And that she just doesn't even want to contend with his magic. Yeah. So she's going to result to a physical attack because she has more confidence that she could physically tear this lion apart than that she could magically tear him apart. <laughs> Which doesn't logically make a whole lot of sense, but you know. We didn't, we're never said that she was a logical actor. True. Um, so, yeah. And then she, she chucks the spear at the lion and doesn't even phase him. He, he doesn't even take notice of this, which I think is also interesting. Not only is he ignoring them entirely, he's completely ignoring one of them attacking him. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just nothing. And she immediately runs off into the woods and we don't see her again in the rest of the chapter yep she just like throw a spear oh that didn't work i'm out she just gives up entirely on trying to get the rings or trying to get back to you know some safer world and she's like nope i'm gonna hide so so at this point i ask you have you figured out who the witch is yes (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, it's like like I said in the, the beginning episodes, I've only read one book in the series, which was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it was many years ago uh, when I was a school child around the ages of Polly and Diggory. And uh, yeah, didn't remember a lot about it. Um, forgot Jadis's name, obviously. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's named as Jadis in, yeah. in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that the witch yeah. in, those, in that book is Jadis, yeah. but... It is, it is, I have been waiting to see if you figured out that the witch is the witch of the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. And that's been part of me tracking the different transitions of what they call her. Uh-huh. Is I've been tracking to see kind of like when they start consistently referring to her as the witch. Yeah. Because in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, one of the titular items of that book is the witch Mm-hmm. And we have this white witch in Narnia. Yeah. And I think for the most part, she's only referred to as the white witch. But if we then look forward into the story, which I'm going to spoil it. How could you? Jadis is the white witch from uh-huh. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Which I guess personally I was kind of hoping not because, you know, it would be more interesting in the world if there is more than one witch to deal with. But Yes, but you also <laughs> have to consider that this is a prequel book. Correct. So this is the explanation for how Narnia came to be, why there's a lamppost sitting at the entrance to Narnia for the Pevensies to walk by, Uh and also how Aslan would have allowed this white witch to subdue Narnia in the way that she does in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh So this is the prequel that's explaining who the witch is and how she got there. Yeah. Which kind of kind of seems like an oversight at this point on Aslan's part, where you know he he ignores her entirely, and just creates all these problems. I mean, I guess we could talk about that theologically. I mean, uh, we're gonna continue on, but that's part of why, for me, my my knee jerk reaction was to compare her attacking him to like the fall of Lucifer. Yeah, because I almost feel like this is the introduction of evil into narnia yeah and i i feel like if we're if we're drawing parallels to christian theology here there's a very uh very big divergence here 
where we're drawing parallels to the creation story and in this version we have aslan creating and you know the devil jadis whoever attacks him runs off and it's just a problem to be dealt with later and if you compare and contrast that to like the christian mythos at the fall of lucifer god just doesn't take that line down like god gets upset like severely to the point where he's just like i'm gonna create an entire realm of nothing but misery and suffering and i'm gonna put you there like i i'm going to pour out all of my wrath into another plane of existence and you're gonna be there forever like that's a big move hmm. <laughs> so god god is god is very not okay with this as opposed to you know this story as i'm just like all right whatever you could you know, do do your own thing Hmm. Well, and we don't know that yet. Like, we don't (laughs) know what is going to happen with, like, if Aslan is going to, if the witch is going to come back in this book, we don't even know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's still very much a thing in the world in the next book. Yes. So. (laughs) Which was the first book. Yeah. (laughs) Get the books in the right order. Uh Uh-huh. So we can take a break from our theological discussion for a second and get into... My favorite character, of course, is Uncle Andrew. Um, but let's talk about <sighs> him in this chapter because he's he's scheming. He's he trying g- so hard <laughs> to get out of here. Uh-huh. He is trying so hard. Kind of. But then he does a little bit of a heel turn where when he realizes just the sheer economic value that this place might have. <laughs> oh, and I he- just hated that part so much. Because Uncle Andrew is just like... The lamp post grew out of this pole. Oh, well, now wait. Well, now you're telling me that I have a, a production line, an assembly place. I just have to bring scrap metal here. Yeah, which I want to get back to the lamp post. But uh, Uncle Andrew is great here because he goes through a lot of different mindsets very quickly. And in the beginning, he is very much still trying to get out. He's trying to pickpocket Diggory. He's trying to convince Diggory to leave Polly behind and come back with him. Uh, which is not working whatsoever. Uh, and I feel like Uncle Andrew estimates Diggory's intelligence a bit, possibly. He just estimates it. <laughs> I said underestimates? No, you didn't. You just said he estimates it. I'm pretty sure I said under very quietly. Anyway, uh, tweet at us if you heard me say under. <laughs> Hashtag under where? <laughs> um, anyway... But uh, he, he starts off doing that, and then he, he's like, well, he's still on this, very, on this kick where he wants a gun, and he's going to shoot this lion, because... He also says, I'll, I'll send a younger man here. Yeah. Like a hunter. Yeah. To kill off the lion, and, yeah. then, and then I can build my capitalistic yeah. empire. That's here. very much Andrew's game, where he's just like, I'll send someone younger and more expendable to do this job. And then I'll come back once all the work is done. Like, he's the idea man, is uh, is who he is in his own head. <clears throat> but he has this moment where he realizes, you know, this lamppost grew out of nothing, and he's just like, oh, oh, wait. This is a magic place of endless opportunity and growth, and I could, you know, I could put manufacturing plants here, and I could I could turn this whole place into a resort because look how clean the air is, and I felt like I, I felt younger since I stepped through the portal. And, you know, who who knows how long I might live if I stay in this place. That's a concern for a man of 60. And like, he then reminds Diggory of the conversation that his Aunt Letty had with the stranger who brought the grapes by. Yes. And this is... A, a, the land of youth. Yes. And this is something I find kind of funny, is that he, Uncle Andrew goes on this entire rant about all the things that could happen here. And, you know, I could find scrap iron and bring it here and create whole ships out of nothing. And, you know, we could create a resort here and I might live forever. And then Diggory's like, huh, do you think this place might heal my mother? And Uncle Andrew's like, this isn't a chemist shop. Like, yeah, it can it's... do all these magical things, but that's obviously beyond the powers of this place. Well, yeah, like, no, you're being it, silly, silly. It can create a ship for me from a piece of scrap metal. Be healing I... your mother. But, yeah, no. <laughs> It's nonsense. Nonsense. <laughs> so, at, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about that other than Uncle Andrew is dumb. 
Uh, well, I think that he also is very self-absorbed. Uh-huh. And the goals that he has is to get money. Like, and to, to have that kind of power, you know, like that money would buy for him. Yeah. He doesn't have any other concerns. And for Diggory, he does, he's not worried about having money or power. He's worried about healing his mom. Mm-hmm. And, like, the two of them are both focused on their own goals. Diggory is a little more in awe of this place and just the magic and the build, like, the, the lion. Then Uncle Andrew is just like, kill the lion. But we also have this kind of goal focus between both of them where both of them are very much not paying attention and we have Polly who is figuring out the song and she's focused on like the lion and the enchantment and just the awe of it all Uh she and the cabbie and strawberry are all just absorbed in this world Uh and Uncle Andrew and Diggory are both very much Focused on what their goals are now that they both have a focus point for their goals. So is there a parallel between Andrew and Diggory here? Do they have something in common? I I think that they might. Mm -hmm. Now, the next chapter is... um, The first joke. The first joke and other important matters. But the chapter after that Mm -hmm. is Diggory and his uncle... Or Diggory and Uncle Andrew are both in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think that that... Uh, for me, reading ahead on the chapter titles, uh-huh. I'm seeing a parallel. I'm I'm using the chapter titles to draw a parallel between their both wanting what their goals are bringing for them. Uh huh. Interesting. Uh. So so yeah, Uncle Andrew is very much into turning this place into his own profits, and I have to do an aside here, uh, since I'm the research person, and we talk about you know things from Victorian era England that readers might not be aware of. Research music! Research music. And at some point, Uncle Andrew says, oh, this place could make 20,000 pounds a year. And I I did the correct conversion math on that, and in the equivalent of today's dollars, that'd be about 2.4 million. That's a lot of money. (laughs) That's a a very, very large amount of money per year. Uh, Again, Andrew is just pipe dreaming here, but, you know, it's a good pipe dream. <laughs> I do a lot for two and a half million a year. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got the lamppost growing. Yeah. And so this is this is an interesting point, and you had some thoughts on it. Like, why did the lamppost grow? Yeah. Uh, so my thoughts on this were, I think it's interesting because that it's basically saying that within this iron bar there is some sort of essence of lamppost that is imbued within it like this iron bar knows in some sense what it is or it's it's supposed to be and it's an element of something that was entirely created by man coming into this place full of you know lion or divine or creation however you want to say it just creative energy yeah it's just creative energy and i think maybe that speaks a bit to uh, the creative nature of Aslan, where he's not necessarily directly consciously creating everything here, but he is more activating energy that is already present. And the way that Uncle Andrew sees this is that, like, this world just grows things that are there. Like, uh-huh. you bring in a piece of a lamppost and drop it, and it grows into a lamppost. You bring in a piece of scrap metal, and it grows into whatever it came from. Yeah. And he's trying to come up with a way to capitalize on this and to make it into something um, beneficial and financially successful for himself, like you talked about. And then we have this just kind of like, what does it mean that the lamppost grew? Uh-huh. Is it is it that Aslan chose to grow a lamppost there? Which seems strange. Which, yeah, <laughs> seems odd. Or is he taking what was what is present and shaping it or does he have nothing to do with it at all except what like you said activating the creative energy and everything just kind of grows and sparks from there Uh uh-huh because he the earth bubbles up and the animals come out of it yes he breathes onto the animals the ability to, to to love and to think and to speak yes 
So have we have we then like struck upon this thing where it's like Aslan isn't creating uh-huh. so much as empowering creation to proceed. Yeah, and I, I feel like in our discussion of theology, that could be an interesting thing to get into in later chapters. And it speaks to uh, some very, very old ideas, whereas in modern Christian theology, can, can you tell I was a theology student in college yet? <laughs> can, has this come across in, in the podcast? Um, in modern Christian theology, uh, we very much have this idea of ex nihilo, where God created from nothing. Was at first there was God, and then God created everything else. Or if you go back and do very, very old Jewish theology, this was not uh, the way the thought was about creation. And in the earliest versions that we have of like Jewish monotheism, uh, from nothing wasn't really a thing, and there was chaos. And there was this sort of primordial chaos that existed that God came into and shaped it into order and shaped it into beauty. But that's... I. I I don't know. I feel like it's almost calling back to that kind of idea. Where, where they they showed up on this land that uh-huh. existed. Yes. And then they started to hear the song of creation sparking uh-huh. with what was present. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you said about the iron bar itself it not being significant that it was iron, but that it was lamppost origins, yeah. like that its origin was lamppost. Yeah. Like it doesn't grow into a rock or a mountain or anything like that. Anything else that has iron in it, yeah. it didn't grow into just a stake or an iron tree. Yeah. It is It is somehow inherently lamppost ever since man has shaped it into that. Fascinating. So. Mm-hmm. so that, that was that was my, my little lamppost philosophical philosophical discussion okay i agree it's worth worth exploring cool i think that it's interesting that uncle andrew's like we could create a a sanatorium here to bring people here for their health for the health benefits Mm -hmm. and then he's like we'd have to let some people in on the secret (laughs) yeah Yeah, no we're just going to teleport them into the wood between the worlds send them into a new pool and then have them appear here like Really? Uncle yep. Andrew, you really think that that's going to work with just, like, a couple people in the loop? We blindfold them. You're just going to get all wet all of a sudden. You're going to walk ten feet and get wet again, and well, then you're the, going to show up. That's the creation of the cult. Like, first you have to be blinded, then we baptize you twice, and, and then you are carried off to this, this resort. Wow. So... <laughs> But speaking of the pools, like you just kind of blew my mind with this whole imagery of baptism of, of going into the wor- wood between the worlds as almost the immersion of a baptism and coming back out of a pool into a new world. Uh-huh. Uh, while we're on all, like this is just going to be the theology episode. Like yeah, the first one, we'll have that more. can be that can be your summary <laughs> of this one. Uh-huh. Um, but with the pools. There was an image in the first couple sentences in which it's talking about the grass growing. Uh-huh. And it says, it spread out from the lion like a pool. Mm-hmm. And I circled that for note because it stood out to me as like, we had the pools is how they got there. And then we had this item that was spreading out from the lion uh-huh. like a pool. It's very pool heavy, uh and then, imagery. in one of the later books, we have a character who comes to Narnia, whose last name is Poole. Mm. And who the, the there are two characters who come together, Eustace and Poole. I don't even remember Poole's first name, because Eustace calls her Poole. Uh-huh. He just calls her by her last name. Uh-huh. And so I know Eustace and Poole are going to come back to Narnia, or going to come to Narnia. So... That repeating of pool, if we are taking it from the uh, mm-hmm. Jewish part, Jewish pardes uh, d- discussion of of where these different terms appear throughout the entire text, but pool is a repeating phrase throughout the entire text hmm. when we talk about it. There you go. Also, pool backwards is loop. Fun word facts. Anyway. <laughs> So most of the time I do these things just to see Kristen's reaction and the listeners are missing so much. Um, so 
next next point of discussion let's let's talk about aslan selecting some animals because this is an interesting plot point that happens next year uh anything you want to jump in with aslan approaches pairs of animals and to me it echoes uh again christian creation and and story we have uh the pairs of animals brought onto the ark uh-huh and it almost stood out to me in that way mm-hmm. where he selects pairs of animals couples and brings them in yeah and and i was i was thinking along similar lines and my question here is why do you think he skips animals because it says he he selects certain kinds of animals and leaves others out mm-hmm. and it doesn't there has, doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to the kinds that he selects because we've got beavers and elephants and he doesn't select elephants. I thought there was elephants because oh. it said something about the elephants yeah, getting smaller right. and and big cats. And there's like there's no delineation between oh he only picks herbivores or carnivores or he only picks you know. There's nothing that we can see. Yeah, and I think that that's intentional. Uh huh. And so we have um. Just I I don't know I don't know why he chooses them I for me this wasn't a big focus point that was just like a thing that happened yeah um but the thing that stood out to me was that he breathes on them and that's the thing that Aslan does in in the Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe and we have this kind of breath of Aslan uh-huh. and we have Aslan breathing upon them and saying Narnia 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 awake love think speak um Mm -hmm. be walking trees be talking beasts and we know from the lion the witch and the wardrobe that the animals can talk Uh so this is the moment where we where it seems like aslan is breathing as you know and god formed the man out of the earth and breathed into him Uh this is aslan breathing into narnia Yes. To instill life into the trees and into the creatures. Yeah. To bring their ability to speak and things like that out. Yeah. Is he just selecting these specific animals that are going to be able to do that? And like, if he didn't choose snakes, snakes can't talk. Uh-huh. Um, is he choosing the animals that are going to be, you know, uninfluenced by evil, if that makes sense? Uh-huh. And is he creating a separation between the good and the evil? Like, what kind of predeterminism is this going to be? Ooh. Like, where has, you know, where? We don't know. Like, there is so much here that we, we if we had read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first before reading this, <laughs> we could explore a little more to see which specific oh. creatures we interact with later but we can't discuss it right now because... We can, we can go back sometime in the middle of, of Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe and do like a retroactive episode. Yeah, we could do our, our theology episode. Part two. Um, yeah, let's get, let's get into a discussion about Calvinism. No. Uh, well, and I think that that's interesting because, I, I mean, we have specific creatures that have been chosen. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if the rest of them are receiving this breath of speech or if they're just out to fill. And like this is this is him choosing what his man is going to be here. Yeah. We also know that in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we have characters like Fawns, like Tumnus is, mm-hmm. who are not a present here at this point. We yeah. just have animals. Yeah. So where did the fawns come from? Where did other characters, other creatures come from? These that magical we are, critters. We are going to see later in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that are going to be present. Yeah. Like um, all of the beasts and things like that that are yeah. fighting with the witch against Aslan later. So as I previously said, it's been a, a long while since I've read uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But if if I remember correctly, there's a there is a distinction where where the, we do have animals that don't talk, we do just have animals that exist, or do do all of them have have this sentience? I don't know. I'm not remembering correctly. I think that there are some that don't talk, like, uh-huh. but I don't know. 
Yeah. Like, I know when we get to the, um, I think it's in the silver chair, there's a snake. And it talks, and it's an odd thing that it talks. And it turns out later that there's actually, like, an enchantment happening. Uh-huh. And so, like, I think that there are creatures that don't talk in Narnia, but I don't. I We're reading them in the wrong order, and it's completely <laughs> hamstrung our ability to have a meaningful discussion. Or it's created some sort of fresh new perspective that, you know, most people don't get because they don't read them in this unique and wonderful order that we're doing. I'm looking in the bright side. Uh, so we have the choosing of the animals. Aslan breathes on them. Uh, he commands them to go and, you know, not be fruitful and multiply, but to, to, to love and to think and to speak. And I, th- I think in this last line of the chapter, there's something there in the order that he gives these well, commands, you, as it were. So you think that it's important that he starts with love. Yes. And then builds onto that to think. Yes. That love is more primal and core. Uh-huh. Than thinking, yes. Well, which, which is very much you as a human being, and then we have speak wow. after that. Think before you speak, which is the advice everyone gives, uh-huh. and something many people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so love, think, speak. Yeah, are the the I'm trying to think of a word, not exaltations. The going out, the sending out, the. There's a word commission, maybe. There's a different word that I'm thinking of for that. But uh, you can tweet at us later when you know what that word is and you're yelling it into your screen right now. Um, oh, but so people listen to screens? People listen to screens. This is this is 2019. So these are kind of the commissions, the... Yes. The... See, it's hard to think yeah. of words. Uh, these are the commands. These are the purposes yes that he is putting there and then he says exhorting Mm -hmm. yeah no and then he and then then he tells the trees to move around which is interesting uh what does he say to the trees he says be walking be walking trees which in narnia the trees are alive and they speak because we we got to get the ants in here um. No, ants are in the other one. <laughs> this is the the tree spirits. These uh-huh. are the the mythical. What are those tree spirits called? Those are called dryads. Yes, the dryads. <laughs> they and they're in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's dryads. So he has just breathed dryads into existence and things like that. Yeah, that's a thing. And what I was saying was, I feel like it's too early in. Uh, the books as far Mandate. as they've read are they mandates possibly mandates works that's love a good, think that's, speak this yeah. is like the mandate yeah. that he has given to the creatures we'll go with that okay sorry interrupted yeah um i think it's too early so far in the plot line to start drawing conclusions about what else aslan has done and if we if we should talk about whether you know, Narnia is this one world he's created, or if Aslan is responsible for creating all the worlds. Like, is this is this Aslan's world, and it yeah. happens to be connected to the wood yeah. between the worlds, or... Is he bigger than that? As I had mentioned when they first got to the wood between the worlds back in episode two, uh-huh. or three, is, that, is the wood between the worlds within Aslan's country? Uh-huh. So, yeah, no, good good question, good thing to look forward to as we continue to read. Yeah, we can look forward to that, and we can do lots of discussion about, you know, why this world is different than, say, Earth or Charn or... Well, and I feel like every one of them is going to be different in some way. Mm-hmm. The question is, what kind of magic is ruling over each of these? Because yeah. clearly there's a difference there's different between magics. the music. Yeah, yeah the, the musics, the magics. And the musics. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, that's some good things for us to look forward to and to look at as we continue forward. Was there any other things that happened in this chapter that stood out to you? Because I I feel like we've covered the entire chapter in great detail and I don't really have anything else to say. Uh, I w- wanted to say something about the cabbie, but I guess he really doesn't do anything interesting other than, you know, call Uncle Andrew dumb for wanting to shoot the lion again and saying, you know, Blow, guns, blow off with guns, your guns or something. Guns like that. be blowed. Uh huh. Guns be blowed. 
And then he goes and grooms Strawberry, who has a moment where Strawberry is feeling so strong and powerful and majestic in this chapter. Yes. Uh, so that's a thing that happens. Um, but I'm pretty sure we covered everything. So I guess before we get to our final thoughts, we can go to our Narnia Chopped and Screwed, hashtag Narnia Chopped and Screwed section. And what we do here is we rewrite the chapter and we pick out five sentences that we like and try to tell a completely new story out of them. So I went and did my summaries first, so you you can go ahead and do your, your rewrite. All right. All right. So when we do our rewrites, it is just us trying to create an entirely new story, just pulling sentences out of the chapter that we read. And um, we have found that it is an effective tool to kind of inform some of both our own impressions of the chapter and, and kind of some of the the darker or the sillier elements in the chapters to kind of pull those out and uh-huh. give us a new, another discussion point. Um, so here's my Narnia chopped and screwed. Okay. Hashtag. Diggory's heart beat wildly. He knew something very solemn was going to be done. If anyone goes within 10 paces of either of the children, I will knock out his brains. Ooh. The children could not move. When you listened to his song, you heard the things he was making up. When you looked around you, you saw them. All you think of is killing things. Wow. Okay. Uh, It's very intense. (laughs) A lot of emotion in that. What was your idea behind this, Kristen? Uh, Really, it was just a lot of like trying to create... I mean, there's there's a lot of sen- this is such a wondrous moment, but there's a lot of sentences that are like these tension points where like the children couldn't move. The next sentence says, "But they weren't sure they wanted to," uh-huh. and so it's like this kind of confronting with the awe that they have with the lion and just also fear mm. and um, creating you know kind of a character who is manipulative and controlling like when you listen to his song you heard the things he was making up when you looked around you saw them Uh i thought of that almost both as the creation element that is presented in the chapter but also as this kind of like manipulative and controlling element where it's like he you're seeing only what he wants you to see Mm -hmm. and not not that that's coming from any specific character my little story, it's kind of putting Diggory as the bad guy or something, or the witch as the bad guy. But anyway, that's that's my uh, my story. Wow. I found this one to be a really fun creative exercise because it is such an awe-inspired chapter, and uh-huh. I was able to try to create something dark out of it. You, you and your dark stories that you write. I just, I, I like being able to take the darker elements out of an, like an awe chapter and create something dark out of it and mm-hmm. vice versa when we have really intense serious things happening and creating something silly and goofy out of it like that's mm-hmm. fun I, I just keep waiting for one of these many stories you write to involve somebody being a spy that's what I'm that's what I'm <laughs> excited about all right so give us your Narnia chopped and screwed Chris all right uh, I will warn you mine is weird <laughs> shocking <laughs> Here we go. Trees, he exclaimed. The tree which Diggory had noticed was now a full-grown beech, whose branches swayed gently above his head. In a few minutes, Diggory came to the edge of the wood, and there he stopped. The stags were the queerest to watch, for, of course, the antlers came up a long time before the rest of them, so at first, Diggory thought they were trees. It made Diggory hot and red in the face. (laughs) So you're just writing a story about a kid who's obsessed with trees. Yes. uh, Diggory is a really passionate arborist in in this story. (laughs) And he's just... He's real into trees. He's real into trees. Uh, I, like like that that first exclamation of trees that he shouts, I was like, I'm basing my whole story around this. Yeah. See, that reminds me just, I already brought it up once, but the, the, the Jewish tradition of Pardes as a spiritual practice of, of mm-hmm. contemplative reading, 
um, within that there is a, a step in which you look through the rest of the material around to focus on a specific word and how it's used and how you can inform your text based on other uh, other appearances of the same word. Uh-huh. And I think that you just did that step in Pardes of, uh, of reading this whole chapter to see where trees appear uh-huh. throughout the entire chapter to inform the word trees as Diggory says it in his exclamation. Uh-huh. That it's everything from... And I think that it's an important... I mean, if we are taking it as the spiritual practice, you've then added in the life element of... uh, He thought it was a tree, but oh, it was actually a stag. Mm -hmm. And then later we're going to have Aslan in this chapter say, be walking trees. Which I'm surprised you didn't put that in in yours. No. Be walking trees. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought about it. That was one of my possible sentences, but yeah. So tell us more about your story. Uh, I I feel like I, I have said all I can. Uh, I didn't really yeah. have a. You just I, wanted I did, you just wanted a kid who's obsessed with trees yeah. to be heard. And I yeah, and I <laughs> and I had the opportunity because I was a kid who was into weird crap. So it's like <laughs> uh, I, I see something of myself in this chapter. All right. Okay. Um, so let's get to our final thoughts and go ahead and rate this chapter, Chris. Yeah. Out so, of uh, uh, out let's... of trees. Out of beach I feel trees? like trees is too obvious. <laughs> Man. Um. Out what else do we have in this chapter? Lamp we have posts. Lamp posts is probably young lamp posts. Young lamp posts. Young lamp posts. Which I wanted to get into a whole philosophical discussion about the lamp posts, but we ran out of time. One time I had someone walk into a coffee shop I was working at, order a drink, and then ask if we could put a young bit of cinnamon on top. (laughs) And this was this was his like word for like a wee bit or or a touch of cinnamon. He's just like could you put a young bit of cinnamon on there? And I was just like, Whoa. where was this person from? I <laughs> The hood north of the valley. I don't know. Okay. Like... <laughs> okay. Uh, so yes, out of young lampposts, this is, can a... I get a young lamppost? <laughs> this is a, uh, this is a dense chapter. And there's lots of things that can be discussed here. Uh, you you said in my summary I didn't really get into a lot of plot. Uh, and I wasn't really sure how to because there's, there's a few different plots here, I think. And there's a lot that can be said about uh, what Uncle Andrew is doing and what Jadis is doing and what Aslan's doing. And I guess our, our main characters here, Diggory and Polly, are just observing and that's their role in this chapter because all the action is happening from other people. And this is one of the one of the first chapters we've had where they don't really do anything. And they're just like this, we're reporting the action. But there's a lot of deep concepts here and a lot like obviously a lot of theological discussion we can get into and a lot of philosophy and discussion of, you know, mythology and all sorts of things which we'll probably hearken back to. And I feel like this chapter sets up a lot of stuff that's going to be expanded on later like really heavy foreshadowing and yeah it's it's great it leads into much more story and paints a really cool picture of uh how this world came to be so overall i'm gonna give it uh let's do it four and a half young lampposts okay Uh, I, i i like it it's good uh did not like it as much as the previous chapter because I feel like the previous one played a lot more with uh, like really good metaphor, and I, I feel like the writing in that one was maybe a little bit better. But overall, still really good. Okay. Okay. See, and for me, being a little more familiar with the later books in the series than you are, this book, this book is a prequel, and this chapter feels the most prequely of the prequelness of this. Uh-huh. Like I'm almost going to give this like an a, an episode 2 rating because I feel like My first thought was are you going to give this a phantom menace? I, I, I don't know if I'm going to give it a phantom menace but like I I don't know if that's any better than an attack of the clones. Like 
it's not a great rating from me because <laughs> as someone who's more familiar with the with the rest of the books and the world of Narnia, mm-hmm. this chapter was a prequel slog for me. Uh-huh. Like, I love the creation elements that we talked about in the previous chapter. Yeah. But other than the young lamppost, mm-hmm. there's not anything in this chapter that inspired me in the same way that the previous one did. Like mm-hmm. the awe moments of this chapter are are already they're already played out in the previous chapter. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, I definitely give this an attack of the clones. Oof! Wow, we had a very wow wow very different rating there. All right, well we're gonna go fight about that. Um, <laughs> But uh, feel free to come back and join us a week from now for Chapter 10. The first joke and other important matters. Uh, yeah, and we're, we're going to be two-thirds of the way through this book. We're, we're coming up on the, uh, on the end here. Yep. And that'll, that'll be fun, and we can jump into the book that everybody's actually listening to here. Uh, but in the, in the meantime, you can get at us uh, at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can tweet at ChronicallyPod on Twitter, or you can send us an email of uh, your fan art of young lampposts. On, uh, <laughs> Please at, do! At, Please at, do! At ChronicallyPodcast at gmail.com. And, and until next time, this has been Kristen. Hi! Bye! And I, I don't I don't think I have a, a name in this chapter because... You when, should be Strawberry. I was Strawberry the last chapter, okay. and so I... I so I, you're just a young lamppost. Just a young lamppost. Trying to get by in the world. I'm lit. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. The Magician's Nephew. Um, so, um... <laughs> Narnia, Narnia, Narnia awake. Love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beasts, be divine waters. Those are each individual sentences. It's on one quote. No, it is one quote. It's not a sentence. No. Okay, no, then no, then no. We'll cut cut all that out. Cut all that out, and then I have I'll shorten it. Aslan, 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 then Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. You've got me saying his name is Aslan. <laughs> this is your fault. Aslan. 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 But what she said did to the two. I completely misread my own words.